Joining me now to discuss is Dave Sirota. David Sirota, you were the first person that popped into my brain when I heard Fourth Amendment. Does that have David Sirota worry? Boston Globe has now started picking up and running with a potentially politically deadly story that was first unearthed by the great David Sirota. God bless this guy, David Sirota. I love that guy. David Sirota is not a journalist. He's a hack. Even the New York Times has called you a populist rabble rouser. Okay. Are you a Che Guevara? Are you a Che Guevara for our age? Uh, and you look forward to a day when college students wear your face on their shirt and don't know what you did? Welcome back to another conversation with uh, me, David Sirota, and the great Thomas Frank. It is day 43, I think it's 43 or 44, since Joe Biden promised the immediate $2,000 checks. And uh, Joe Biden is right now at Camp David. The U.S. Senate has decided to take a week-long recess, and there still hasn't been a single vote on the $2,000 checks to a starving nation. So welcome to another uh, day in the dystopia. Uh, and this week, we're going <laughs> to talk a, a little bit. COVID dystopia. Uh, it really is. He's like, wait, way to go, Mr. Sirota. You always start out with such a, on such a, a happy note. <laughs> Sorry. Well, there is one thing to be happy about. Tom... Uh, got a new microphone, uh, so he sounds, uh, in my view, he sounds a lot, a lot better. Uh, tell us a little bit about your microphone, Tom. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't actually get a new microphone. It's a, it's one that I got at a garage sale back in the '90s, and I, uh, you know, we've since it now looks like I'm going to be communicating via, you know, my computer and the internet and and uh, uh, podcasts for, you know, for the foreseeable future. I decided to dust it off and figure out a way to hook it up to the computer, and here we go. It, it, it is actually a Radio Shack microphone. I mean, it sounds so luscious and kind of old school radio-ish. I, I love well, it. You and I both used to be in radio. We did. Long ago. And there is a, you know, there's, I've always been fascinated by that medium. And there is among certain kinds of, you know, broadcasters, they're very uh, particular about what kind of mic they use and how they run it through the board and how it comes out, you know, and how it sounds on the other end. Like Glenn Beck is very particular about this, has a particular sound, Rush Limbaugh, as we all know. So why not? <laughs> it's, it, 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 sounds, it sounds great. Now, today we're going to be talking a little bit about the Lincoln Project. We're going to be talking about uh, the insurrection uh, uh, with a little bit of the impeachment sprinkled into there. Um, and... I want to let's start with the Lincoln Project. Uh, the the Lincoln Project had a had a big week uh, on the birthday of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, the organization effectively collapsed uh, amid a amid allegations of um, uh, harassment. Uh, the leadership essentially not uh, responding forcefully to allegations of misconduct within its midst. Uh, Steve Schmidt the Former McCain staffer, Republican staffer, uh, decided to resign from from the group. Uh, and and for those who don't know, the the Lincoln Project was a group of Republican operatives who, as I'll I'll, I'll just give my own view on it, who helped create the dystopia that we're now living in, who very belatedly saw a business opportunity to pretend to be fighting against the anti-democratic Republican authoritarianism that they themselves helped create. Uh, they produced a lot of YouTube videos, which then got uh, liberals to give them uh, tens of millions of dollars. I think it was $90 million, according to the AP, oh $50 God. million dollars of which went into their own um, 
consulting firms. So they made a whole boatload of money for themselves. And they subsequently collapsed. Now, my quick view on the Lincoln Project is one of that. So these are these are never Trumpers, right? These are correct. Correct. Never Trump. In another so time, we well, I, I was about to say we would call them moderate Republicans, but they weren't. No. These no. these are these are very conservative Republicans who just decided that to turn against Trump for whatever reason, you know, and they they gave their reasons. We all know what they are. My view is that they saw a business opportunity. They weren't in tight with Trump. Trump wasn't as good a business opportunity for them to pretend that they suddenly care about uh, our democracy. Uh, they suddenly saw a business opportunity in pretending to be appalled at the Republican Party that they helped create. And it was a wildly— I mean, popular. these were high-ranking guys, right? Oh, big time. They'd big been time. advisors to presidential candidates. These are not, you know, these are not just like uh, local, politi local political No, types. no. It's like Rick Wilson and Steve Schmidt, uh, Galen, I mean, all these top— Republican high-level operatives suddenly decided, hey, this party that we helped build, uh, we, we suddenly don't like us. Give us $90 million, uh, 50 million dollars of which will be funneled into our own firms. God. Uh, yeah. So it's it is so it, it wouldn't when I was, you know, reading the news stories about these guys, and I admittedly didn't follow it a whole lot uh, during the campaign, right? I don't watch TV. I don't I don't know what TV commercials look like anymore. Um so admittedly, I, I did not follow them a whole lot at the time. But now with all these news stories, I'm going back and this is it is it is just it reminds me of so many other uh, uh, Republican operations before these guys. For starters, you, you know, what's what's probably let's get this out of the way right at the top. That what's most fascinating about these guys is think about what they are selling. Now, the, admit they're as you said, they are uh, they're catering to liberals, to Democrats. That's who they want to give them money, right? And who did in fact fund them and did give them millions and millions of dollars so that they would go out and and make like the meanest TV commercials of all time. And the image that they're trading on is that Republicans are so good at meanness <laughs> and, at, and, and at dirty tricks, mean advertising that, that it, libs need to basically get their own, you know, right wingers in order to, <laughs> in order to make, the ads for because liberals just can't be mean enough. Yes, you yes. Know to beat Republicans, they're trading on this image. To beat Republicans, you have to be as authoritarian and nasty as Republicans. And and I want to be clear, you like have that, to be, you have to get your own Lee Atwater, basically. Yes, yes. Now or your look, own I, Karl Rove or I, whatever. I get the appeal of that for li for liberals who lived through. Uh, decades in which yeah, are many beatings at the hands of these people. <laughs> right, right. So it's like, let's just hire, let's just get our own, you know, basically bully, like our own Biff yeah. from Back yeah. to the Future to, to kick the crap out yeah. of the Republicans. And and there there is some kind of logic to that in the in the reptilian brain. But 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 my issue was was twofold. One, there's data showing that their ads were largely ineffective. Uh, there's detailed data, focus group data and the like, suggesting that their ads were largely ineffective. Effective, though, in convincing already convinced liberals to give them money, but not yeah, effective. Yeah, that's, that's the, the actual target audience. you got to remember about something about advertising is what advertising uh, seems to be selling and what it is actually selling are two very different things. And sometimes, you know, ads will be, you know, you won't be able to understand a, t a commercial that you see on TV because it's not doing what you think commercials usually do. Such a good point. And this, 
And in this case, they're, what they're what they're actually doing is looking, you know, for for more money from political donors. That's sort of a, a chronic theme of these things. The amazing thing about that is that there's sort of a Jedi mind trick going on, right? Like like they're saying we're going to air these really hard hitting ads that will help us defeat Trump. Liberals, please give us money to do more of these ads. But in yes. fact, yes. the data suggests that the ads that they were making actually weren't convincing anybody to vote Except for those Trump. liberals, <laughs> except for those funders. Exactly. They were convincing people to just give them <laughs> yeah. money. Like it wasn't and, – and, and arguably that's what they're meant to do. So uh, so this, uh, this just rang a million bells in my stupid little brain uh, from back in the days when I used to study conservatism and write about the conservative movement, which – I mean that was – that was how I spent when I first met you. That's what I was doing. Yep. That's how I spent my time. And, and I would buy their books and I would interview them. And I would uh, I have the most incredible collection of conservative like ephemera and you know movement literature and stuff like that down in the basement of the house. Eventually, I gave up on that because it. it, it Everybody else started doing it and it became boring, you know, and it's it's also, you know, it's not it's not hard to like refute a guy like Donald Trump you know, or, or George W. Bush. It's like, who who cares? It's just not it's not there's no challenge in it. And so I gave up on this. But I went back and uh, you're reading about this. I went back and got some of this stuff out and it reminded it rang such a bell. And there was a group back in the 80s called um, Nick Pack, NC. PAC, NC for National Conservative Political Action Committee. And these guys were some of the do you remember this guy, Terry Dolan? He totally. was one of he was one of the first in this long string of like uh conservative tough guys who would run, they would devise and run the meanest TV commercials you ever saw. And Dolan made his name on uh, bringing down a whole bunch of very liberal U.S. senators in the election of 1980. Do you remember? I think there were six of them. Yep. That it was it was uh, part of the Reagan uh, revolution was that all of these sort of these guys who'd been in the Senate forever, like one of them was George McGovern. I forget who some of the others were, but he he had targeted them all. Uh, all of them were defeated, and he, after that, went around the country, uh, you know, fundraising like crazy, saying, "I have the magic secret. I have the you know the secret sauce that can bring down any liberal, and you give me money, and I'll do it." And so he was this incredibly prodigious fundraiser. He set up this group, Nick Pack. Uh, they would run these ads all over the country after after raising tons of money for this. And then he had uh, to in order to run the ads, he would uh, hire his friends or his own production company or whatever it was. It was it, it's anyhow. But you see what I'm getting at here? It's exactly the same model. Yes. Only uh, turned this, on liberals. Uh, or turned on conservatives, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, Basically, I mean, the, the funding they follow base. the money. Yeah, right. The funding. And one one base. of the things that you have to remember about the age that we're living in is that the money has changed sides. You know, the, uh, Hillary outraised Trump massively. Uh, Biden also outraised Trump, not as massively as Hillary, but Trump is the incumbent. Right. So it's still it's quite remarkable right. that he outraised him. But uh, Wall Street was uh, was largely with Biden. Trump had some Wall Street money, of course. Uh, uh, Hollywood entirely with Biden, uh, Silicon Valley almost entirely with Biden. Uh, you go right down the list, and I, I've, I, we talked about this in the last one of our last um, uh, podcasts about the neighborhood that I grew up in, this very affluent part of Kansas City that finally flipped to the D's. So the money all over America, the money is changing sides, uh, and guys like this can see that. 
Uh, and that, you know, obviously that if, if, if you're a political entrepreneur, this is the term they use for themselves, not the Lincoln project. I mean, in general, this sort of, this kind of operative, they call themselves political entrepreneurs. If you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're, you know, you're trying to make money. And, and it was that's, a huge business success for them. I mean, that's un- un- undoubtedly yes. true. The thing that bothers As me, so many of these others have been before them. So yes. this model goes. This model goes way back. One of the guys that invented it. He's still around. His name is Richard Vigory. Right. Fascinating guy. Uh, and in the 1970s, he developed this model using what's called direct mail, which is like junk mail. And he and his friends would send out these uh, letters, these junk mail letters, by the millions. Uh, you know, like, uh, well, basically they're panic mongering, right? The the fa- most famous one is they would talk about how uh, Jimmy Carter was going to give away the Panama Canal. That's right. They called it <laughs> <That's right. laughs> the Panama Canal giveaway. And the idea was they would send out these letters saying, basically, your government is betraying you. You know, they're, these liberals have gone crazy. They're soft in the face of a communist world and and you know and give us money and we'll stop them give us money and we'll do something about it and what the money would uh, and sometimes the money would involve uh uh fundraising for a particular candidate sometimes it would just be for an you know vigory's organization send out more of these letters uh and anyhow it 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 was a monster success it both achieved political ends and it was a huge business success and that's what people always forget is that this stuff is it's political, but it's a business model also. That's right. And they and when I mean they turned it on liberals, I mean that liberals became the funding base as opposed to conservatives. It's the same yeah. tactics, but soliciting liberals for yes. as the as the business sponsor. So, so sometimes these things are the ads are politically effective, but that's secondary. Correct. Correct. The now, primary goal is always is always the fundraising, you know, the all the different organizations that they set up. By the way, the biggest uh, now if we had more time, I'm sure we could draw connections uh, from one to the next of these these episodes, but the biggest sort of example of this that people will probably remember had to do with Ollie North. Remember, so Iran-Contra, Ollie North was the big sort of – it started out as the big villain in Iran-Contra. These are the hearings on the big Reagan-era scandal. Uh, Ollie North was – I forget which agency he worked at, but he had basically uh, developed the the strategy for the whole thing. We were going to sell weapons (laughs) to Iran and use the money to fund the Contra rebels in Nicaragua, right? And this way, the you the Congress didn't have to authorize any money for the for the Contras. Congress wouldn't give any money to the Contras, but we the, but the, the the administration had figured out a way around this, which is selling weapons to anyhow. It was it was like uh, crazy illegal, <laughs> and uh, on many different levels. And there were and it was a huge scandal. And all and so they had these hearings. Okay, they go they have these hearings. The principal sort of uh, villain slash witness is Oliver North, and he t- and he wears his uniform to the trial and becomes uh, and, and and refuses. He's totally unrepentant and he refuses to give an inch and hurls the accusations right back at the at the liberal members of Congress and becomes overnight this hero on the right. Oliver North, there's this Ollie mania that sweeps the country. And all of a sudden, all of these different sort of political entrepreneurs all over Washington, D.C. go into business marketing um, Ollie stuff, you know, and uh, 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 videotapes of his. So it's, know, it's, his a, it's a well-known business model. And, and the yes. thing, but the thing that's like there's so there's two levels that bother me. The first level that bothers me is, is that 
One, you're selling liberals not just on the message of the ads, which attack Trump, but on the idea that the message you're promoting will help win the election. In other words, in other words, you're selling the political uh, uh, shrewdness of the ads, even though the data suggests that the ads were not particularly effective in helping win the election. And then there's Wait, this. There's a, there's a further level of genius here. Yes. If you think about it, or uh, I don't know if genius is the right word, but ordinarily, who devises political advertising? The campaign does. Right. The campaign yeah. does. These guys in Washington sitting in an office somewhere, you know, and, and these guys are doing, these guys are saying, no, you, the liberal public, you know, fund us. Because we will kick Trump's butt. Right, exactly. And that's that's and so people are like, hell yes, I want a piece of that. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Even though it's not necessarily, it's a great fundraising pitch. It is. It's, it's a brilliant fundraising pitch. Even though it's not actually necessarily working. Now, the second part of of the Lincoln Project that really, but the ads aren't designed for that. The ads are designed correct. to make right. I make mean, liberals think yes. that they're it's and so that they flatter the sort of liberal idea of that liberals have of themselves. That's you know? right. The second part that really bothers me, and maybe this is just me, but like Steve Schmidt is a guy who still to this day publicly brags that he was the guy who led the campaign for the Bush administration to put Sam Alito and John Roberts on the court. He is still – Rick Wilson is in a sense uh, an unrepentant Republican who just pretends that he hates Donald Trump specifically. I could go down the list, but my point is – is that what's amazing to me, and maybe maybe I'm just uh, not naive, but I, I I should just get over it. Which is that these are the people who literally created the problems that they <laughs> yeah. pretend to be upset about. Like, and the and the fact that the yep. average liberal who gives them money doesn't care about that. I mean, you could maybe argue they don't know that. I guess, but like the idea that like you could know that and you don't care that these same people created the problems they purport to be. It's like the arsonists saying that they're the ones who best They've changed know how sides to put now. out the fire. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They've changed sides now. They're with the fire department now. Like, like does, does, yeah, does, yeah, is there yeah. any accountability? Or it's, To me, it's, it's an example of the culture of impunity. Like, Iraq War proponents get to now posture on TV as, like, national security experts. You know, people who created the financial crisis get to be on CNBC as financial experts. Uh, yeah. The Lincoln Project uh, it, people... Worse. Worse, yeah. Mr. Sirota, it's capitalism. <laughs> That's all it is. It, you mean it's just a bit? It's just it's just some guys with a with a, with a really interesting with a new angle, you know, and and uh, a lot of people fell for it. A lot of people fell for and it. One last thing about this, as I was watching some of their commercials, and the, and the production was admittedly the production values were very high. Mm -hmm. These are these are slick commercials. Some of them appeared to be quite good, and I didn't have time to watch all of them. Um, and some of them were also, you know, pretty stupid. But but here's the thing. What happened to, you know, Donald Trump didn't have anything like this level of uh, of advice on his side. You know, I, I'm still amazed that he got as many votes as he did. I mean, Trump's commercials were crass and stupid and blundering. Mm -hmm. There's no cleverness to the, you know, to the, uh, to the Trump campaign. And, you know, to, it, it, there's just, there's just nothing smart or admirable or clever about it, you know, and you wonder what the hell has happened. Well, uh, I mean, part of it is honestly, if you step back, you, you, you start to realize that maybe all the political geniuses, I'm putting that in quotes, 
you know, I've run this campaign and I know how to make this ad and this poll testing and focus group, that maybe all of it's a bunch of garbage and that just things aren't as sophisticated as they seem. I mean, that, that Donald Trump was not particularly sophisticated. He struck at a particular uh, moment. He mobilized a particular uh, uh, group of people, a particular coalition, and it doesn't take uh, so much uh, shrewdness among the political class to either win or lose an election. A lot of the times at this point, it kind of feels like elections are just about timing and about kind of larger cultural trends. But yeah. I, but I, I go yeah. back to this issue with the Lincoln Project, which is that, you know, the consultants always, always do well. Yes. And that they, that they are the ones who created the problems. Now, a final um, asterisk that I thought was pretty kind of darkly hilarious was at the as they're collapsing i don't know if you followed these details but as they're collapsing they published uh, the direct message tweets of one of their former staffers in a very bullying kind of kind of grotesque way and people were out i can't believe they did that how could they do this and i agree like how could they do this but it's kind of like oh you're surprised that republican thug dirty tricksters who pretended they care about like norms and democracy all of a sudden they're under attack people are asking them questions they're like hey look at this they're bullies what do you know right they're like (laughs) resort back to form like big shocker (laughs) here like these are the people you chose to make you know make allies with And, and and you know one last thing on this which is that the other thing that bothered me for so many months was that these are media creations by that i mean these republicans were given prominent spots on MSNBC to essentially reputationally launder themselves from having created the Republican apparatus that has put us into, uh, in part, into this position. So th- there was a media complicity to this, which is to basically help Steve Schmidt and all these other Republican operatives pretend that they didn't like, you know, what. Donald Trump was doing in specific, but what the Republican Party was doing in general, even though they helped create that machine, like they, yeah. like they this created. Is, this it. is. Have I ever told you the um, lifeboat theory of American politics? Please. This is something from from the nineteenth century. So the two parties uh, in the nineteenth century, I mean late nineteenth century, the two parties were very very similar. Uh, only had a few like really marginal differences with one another on on the big policy questions of importance to the moneyed class, you know, to the, the robber barons and stuff. And when one of the parties would discredit themselves, the, uh, all the money would just move over into the other one. There was this fame. So ordinarily the robber barons, you know, the, the capitalists of America were Republicans at the time. That was their, that was mm-hmm. their party. They basically owned it. And I forget which election it was, but in one of these elections, the Republicans somehow wandered into a terrible scandal, uh, managed to make themselves look really toxic. And so all the money went over to the Democrats who were running Grover Cleveland that year, who was basically a very conservative Democrat, mm-hmm. not really different from the Republicans in any way. And this is the lifeboat theory. They just used the Democratic Party as a lifeboat until the Republicans could get their um, could, could get their shit back together. And uh, uh, and then they then they came back right onto the, the main vessel. But this is what you're seeing now among the American ruling class. They are a band. And this is not just the Lincoln Project. This is something that you and I could talk about for months. And there are many examples of it. You think of all the Republicans who spoke at the Democratic Convention. Um, you know, I'm writing right now about this guy, John Meacham, who uh, wrote speeches yep. for for uh, for Joe Biden uh, and who I mean, 
this is a guy that, uh, you know, uh, six or seven years ago was writing a biography of George Bush senior. That's right. <laughs> you know, a That's man right. he really admired. That's right. But now he's, now he's, you know, he's speaking at the democratic convention, you know, he's writing speeches for a democratic president. This is the entire establishment of America is doing this. They have abandoned, you know, the Trumpist party and are, uh, you know, and, and they're, they're all very anxious that the Republican party returns to what they call sanity, you know, comes back to, you know, uh, running guys like George Bush again. But uh, so that they have two the, lifeboats the as opposed Joe to Biden one. Will do. Yeah. In the meantime, Joe Biden will do, you know, the lifeboat. Right. So they want two lifeboats instead of one. Now, let's turn to the to the to the insurrection, because because I, I think there the, there is we're talking about the Republican Party. And let's go a little bit deeper. Um, there was this Washington Post story this week about how uh, the. Folks who participated, many of the folks who participated in the insurrection uh, were middle class to upper middle class, but who had also experienced uh, economic uh, difficulties and dislocation in parts of their lives. Uh, and and this uh, uh, prompted a kind of, well, well, you know, were they motivated by economic anxiety? Were they, were they you know, this whole, you know, and then they're bringing a Confederate flag and there are folks who are saying, you know, the term economic anxiety, putting that in quotes, is just a, is just a euphemism for racism. But the, the takeaway that I had was that this seems to all be uh, an outgrowth of the Tea Party, which you wrote so eloquently about in your book, Pity the Billionaire, which is to say that it it was a middle class, largely a middle class riot. If if the if the reporting on this is to be believed, uh, it 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 was, you know, were economics at the center of it? It's hard to know. I think what what's at the center of it was a kind of misinformation system and an incitement system uh, that that essentially, I mean, you read the quotes from the people who participated who were basically saying, look, I, I, I went down this rabbit hole with Trump. I went down this rabbit hole with misinformation about the election and out I came on the other end. I'm in the Capitol. I'm storming the Capitol in a, in a, violent, in a violent riot. I mean, what are we to take away from what we've learned oh about God. the insurrection. It's, it, is, it is so fascinating, and I think we're just starting to scratch the surface. And I've read a lot of the same uh, journalism that you have, and we're, we're finally starting to get sort of a sociological understanding of who these people are. And it is, it is really interesting because at first, uh, and I, by the way, I think the day after it happened, uh, there was a, a film crew came and interviewed me and said, you know, these are uh, working class supporters of President Trump. And I'm like, wait a second, not so fast. You have no idea who they are. You know, you look at pictures of these people. Uh, I, you know, it's hard to judge from pictures, especially when they're all bundled up in winter clothes. Uh, you know, you don't really know uh, who these people are. And we're getting, we're getting a better idea now. But I mean, basically, the fact that they all had to travel to D.C. Right. in order to participate in this is kind of a giveaway that they're not, you know, these are not blue collar workers. Right. Um, the, the Washington and, Post had this really interesting um, passage. It said the participation of people with middle and upper class, upper middle class positions fits with research suggesting that the rise of right wing extremist groups in the 1950s was fueled yeah. by people in the middle of society who felt they yes. were losing status and power. Yes. So That's, that it, that it is wasn't correct. working class. That is right. But there's I mean, there's more than one, you know, group sure, and, sure. and the Republican Party is is an enormous sure. <laughs> organization. Sure. So if you uh, I and I bet I feel like I've been writing about these people 
since forever. So this was my original, you know, take on them was I wrote, you know, what, what's the matter with Kansas? And I had a, a phrase for this kind of person. These are the kind of people that I, uh, uh, you know, I, I've known people like this all my life. Uh, uh, these are small business right wingers. Mm hmm. And uh, they, you know, they, they're uh, small business people have economic anxieties. It's not the same economic anxiety that that working class people would have, but they they do have a lot of, you know, setbacks, a lot of problems. They have they often put their hose, their houses up for, uh, you know, as collateral to raise money for their business. Uh, the, uh, you know, they're, uh, they 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 uh, declare bankruptcy a lot. Uh, and they, uh, anyhow, the, the, the term that I used for them, what's the matter with Kansas was bitter self-made men. Yes. These were people who were, who you would think they, they had done quite well in, in America, right. In, in American life, they had succeeded in, you know, whatever, you know, real estate or, uh, what are some of the things that, uh, that some of these people were, were involved in some of the industries that they were involved in construction, mm -hmm. uh, sales, you know, this kind of thing. And, and, and what always, what got me when I was writing, what's the matter with Kansas? And, and uh, as I said, I gave up on this subject, but you know, when I go back and look at it, what fascinates me is that these are people who you, you would think would regard American life with a certain amount of satisfaction and a certain amount of pride. These are people that have done well, uh, you know, who have succeeded but you you scratch the surface and and they you know they really haven't they've got all sorts of problems and and covid by the way they these people have had a double whammy the uh, housing crisis the uh, financial crisis was a huge blow to these people uh to small business in particular for all sorts of reasons not the least of which is the fact that they that they often use their homes as collateral uh and then and then second of all the covid the pandemic all the restrictions in place during the pandemic they've been great for amazon but they've been absolutely crushing for small business, as you and I know. So, yeah, there's economic anxiety out there. It's a different uh, kind of economic anxiety. And there's a whole uh, right-wing megaphone designed to stoke a feeling of grievance, a feeling oh of— Oh, my God. Like, that's is there, the key. Yes, absolutely. And these people both listened to that megaphone and built that megaphone. Yes. I mean, that is the rank and file of the—I mean, not the, just the rank and file. This is the sort of core— of the conservative movement in America. It's not the really rich people. You know, you have the people like the Koch brothers, Sheldon Adelson, etc. But these are the guys who have always powered the thing. These right, are but, the, here, but here's and, the here's the dicey question. How do you talk about this, which is that these are, in many ways, this is a, a cohort of people who have done comparatively well compared to... Uh, you know, workers, low-income workers, service sector workers, and the like. That, that, that and we're speaking in generalities here, but the, this right, is a cohort right. that's done comparatively well on the whole. Still has economic challenges, faces economic anxiety. How do you talk about all that without seeming like you are sympathizing? with the grievance. In other words, like you, you want to be able to acknowledge all this without saying, hey, you know, that makes it okay or that makes that makes it understandable that there would be a violent riot at the Capitol, which of course you and I are not saying Yo, no, at all oh, wait, in that's, any way. That's nuts. Right. <laughs> but but like that's, that's nuts. That's just like it just goes you just took it one step too far there. But look, this is a challenge in writing about about these people is that you you disagree with what they're saying and what they're doing and the things that they have achieved over the last 40, 50 years have been dreadful for this country. Absolutely dreadful. 
but at the same time, you want to understand where they're coming from and why they've done what they've done. So it's, know, it's right. It's not to justify it. It's to understand. Right. This is so. I'm I'm speaking here not just as a you know, uh, 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 you know, a political fan or, a, you know, a, a Democrat or someone cheering for his team. I, you know, the whole idea of, of, of what I do, you know, this kind of serious journalism and analysis is, is to understand people, not just to like taunt them or call them names or, you know, convict them. I mean, I, I do a lot of that too, you know. Now, uh, there was a piece <laughs> but, in the New but, Republic, by the way, which makes, which was about the QAnon phenomenon, which filters into this and filters into the sense of grievance, certainly filtered into parts of the insurrection. And one thing that came out that kind of supports what you're saying is that uh, in the New Republic, uh, the writer looked at, you know, the Democrats basically saying, kind of making the argument that that the way to stop all this is, is to talk to uh, and build a coalition of better educated people. But in fact, yeah, these a are, lot of these the folks people, who these people went to college. Yeah. Yes, like a lot of the folks who 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 have subscribed to the QAnon phenomenon and 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 are part of were part of Donald Trump's uh, you know uprising are nope. decently educated college educated people. Like it's not yeah, an education well, issue. Look, that's 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 just Democrat. Democrats always say that. They say that no matter what what the problem is. You yeah. know, you, yeah. like we, we look, we have income inequality in America. Oh, we need more education. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, we have uh, we have uh, this problem with racism in America. We need more education. It's all they always it's always the same answer. What, and just ask yourself, why is that? Because they are the party of the sort of professional elite people whose uh, whose status is based on not just having gone to college, but having gone to graduate school, having uh, some kind of professional degree. Uh, some kind of you know uh, 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 you know high attainment via education, and so naturally they see it as the uh, as the answer to everything because it was the answer for them personally. Uh, but no, this is it's it, it's not it's not even remotely close to being the right answer in this case. The other answer that they always come up with nowadays, and this is the one that really makes gets me steamed, is is censorship. Right. Right. You know, we need to crack down right. on Twitter and Facebook and. Google and what have you. And, and we need to, you know, we need to basically stop these people from talking to each other, which is just like, it, it, it's just, it's so incredibly stupid that you can't, you can't believe when you see it, you know, you read these articles in wherever the New York times, you just can't believe anybody would, would argue such a thing. What is it? The New York times the other day was calling for a reality czar. They want the Biden administration <laughs> A reality czar. I mean, that look, will crack I, I, down I, on on, a, on the imagination of mankind or something. It's like it's like you're like what? Look, when I I I think that when a pol a political leader starts using a megaphone to directly incite violence, that's not really a free speech issue. But I also so I think you know when Trump wait inc incitement's already against the law. right right. So when they pulled Trump off of Twitter and all that, like I think that was you know I mean that was yeah. the the ball was already rolling on that. Yeah, yeah but, but I'm I, talking about something much bigger. Yes, than yes. That. The, the 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 sort of like the answer to this is to not like let people express themselves generally free speech stuff like that. That that is not that is not a solution. I mean, and I and this is a good segue to you know it's also not very not very liberal. No, it's not. And it's a good segue to the to the final issue that I want to get to, which is wait, I'm not done with these. people. Sorry, okay, go go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Like I said, these people have been the sort of the core of of conservative movements since uh, since uh, as you said the 1950s. I would I would you know that's my I don't generally go back that far, but that's that's certainly 
that that dovetails with everything that I know about them. And the question that I always ask myself is, why are people who should be so satisfied with American life, why are they always so angry? Oh, that's a great and question. so bitter. Yes. Uh, you know, and and uh, uh, and and you know, when I first thought about that, I'm like, what in the world are they doing, trashing the seat of American government? Yeah. Like, what the hell is going through their heads? But then you think about it for just a, a few minutes, and it, it does start to make sense. Um, and and anyhow, there's there's so many uh, interesting aspects to this, and I'm I often think of. A quote about. Remember, I, I finished writing a book about populism recently, like the real populism, the movement in the 1890s. And I often think about the guy who defeated populism, who's like the original sort of Lee Atwater, Terry Dolan, Carl Rove, Mark type. Hanna, Mark Hanna. Yeah, yeah. And the the uh, the great historian of that campaign is a guy in the 1930s called Matthew Josephson. And he's looking back at the campaign of 1896 and how Mark Hanna, this capitalist sort of generalissimo, um, assembles his coalition and crushes the populist movement. And he says, he has this line in the book, and I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to butcher it here, but it's I'm going to get it close to right. He says that um, he unleashed the berserk fighting power of his class. And admittedly, it's like it's kind of a Marxist analysis, this kind of class reductionism. But this idea that, you know, this class that you, you and I would look at them and say, why aren't they satisfied with American life? Why aren't they just like happy sitting at home drinking beer? You know, they, they've done all right. And but he got it exactly right that underneath the, these people are they, they there is a kind of berserker, you know, uh, uh uh, ability to marshal resources and to and to you know and to to, to uh, uh, you know well I've never heard of them engaging in a riot like this before but to do things like that uh, you know to 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 uh, I'm, no, I mean it's 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 class consciousness it's class consciousness and it's class it's, solidarity it's, it's, but but working class people never do stuff like this. Well, 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 but that, is, get, but that gets to the point, which is that actually in the United States— I mean, they go on strike and things like that, but sure. not—they don't do things like this. But in the United you know, States—I mean, I've said this before. I've heard other people say it before. In the United States, class solidarity, class consciousness is more a phenomenon of the upper class than yes, it is of, of the people, working of, class. Of, of, the, of these people. Yes. yes. I want to read you one last uh, quote. And by the way, the, that is so exactly right. And I often think of the Reagan revolution that way and of all the stuff I've been talking about, like as these people gained a kind of class consciousness in the late 70s and in the early 1980s and, and came together as a movement. Yes. Uh, and, and we're living with the I mean, I don't know how long this is going to go on. And we'll talk about that in a second here, where that where we go from here. But this is kind of uh, amusing. Because George W. Bush has sort of emerged as you know this the the, the Republican that liberals love now. <laughs> I, 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 always I, it, it kills me, me all the time. It kills me. It just kills me. But uh, but uh, the the thing is that conservatives have used this language of insurgency and of a second American revolution and all this kind of crap. The Tea Party movement is a wash, or was I should say, a wash in this kind of stuff. But it goes way 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 back. Uh, conservatives love this sort of language of revolution. What's odd is that they finally acted on it. But uh, to, to give you just a taste of how this language of revolution can come up in even the most banal places. This is from a book um, called Rebel in Chief 
by uh, Fred Barnes. <laughs> Fred Barnes, and it's a biography of George W. Bush. Oh, a great rebel, uh, a, a true rebel. Rebel in chief, George W. Bush. Uh, and and here's here. There's a quote from the book. He, uh, Barnes says that Bush, quote, operates in Washington like the head of a small occupying army of insurgents. He's an alien in the realm of the governing class. Given a green card by voters. <laughs> I mean, like literally the the literal he's, son he's, of a he's former an president. In the, in, the, in the governing class. The literal Rebel son of a former president. Yes, is yes. Supposedly... Who was himself like the most pre- the preppiest man in America? You know, went to Yale, skull and bones. You know, <laughs> I forget where he prepped, but somewhere fancy. Like Harvard Business School, all that. Stuff, yeah. His ancestors came over on the Mayflower. Yes. <laughs> Rebel in chief. Don't you love that? So they, they've been using this language forever. And now f- finally, <laughs> finally, they acted on it. You know, I mean, George it, W. Bush as a rebel who's like out of his out of his element in Washington is so absurd. I know. I know. I know. I know. And, and so but now the question is, where do they go from here? And so one of the things about the conservative movement that's always fascinating is that they pick up where the last bunch left off. So with George W. Bush, he picked up sort of where his dad left off. But and then and then Trump, in a lot of ways, picked up where Bush left off uh, in some ways. Uh, what I mean by that is like running the federal agencies in reverse, you know, right. bringing in these people to, you know, destroy the EPA, for example, or, you know, deregulate banks. Some yeah, more. Except, you know, except the the classic is, kind of this is where I want to want to turn, which is which is how do the Democrats sort of address this, try to solve this, will they? And 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 something that's really interesting that I that also has been unfolding in the last week. To go back to where we started, the you know, I mentioned the the $2000 checks up top. There was this situation in West Virginia that unfolded this week where Joe Manchin, the Democratic conserv- very conservative Democratic senator has been the guy who has been saying, uh, you know, he's been Putting out there that that giving away money to people uh, who quote don't need it that's like you know sort of their uh, their argument that w- that that would be bad and what what was really interesting as it relates to this realignment uh, that may be happening and where the Republicans go right because there there's this argument that the, that the the best way for Democrats to try to start dealing with this is to simply deliver material gains to the working class and to the middle yeah, class. Yeah. And okay. what happened yeah. is, is that what you saw in some ways is the opposite. By the way, can I, can I just throw in a, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but before I forget, you know, this, this whole like, uh, uh, insurgent, uh, small business group yes. that is the heart and soul of conservatism since time immemorial. Yes. Those people were also once part of the democratic coalition long ago. And you know why? Antitrust. That's right. That's Antitrust right. is is the small business issue, you know, par excellence, and nobody has enforced it in what thirty years now, forty oh, years. So, so, totally. Total. Well, uh, just imagine if Biden were to go after Amazon. Well, and and the you, you know, talk about things that would wake wake this country up that would that would that would cure the misinformation and cure what ails us. Yes, uh, there isn't yet an indication that he's going to do that, but at least as it relates to delivering. You know, money to people who need it. The two thousand yeah. dollar checks issue is still sitting out there. We've talked about it before. But what was interesting was that Mansion's leading the is the guy from a very poor state, who is the one saying we don't we shouldn't give people money to people who quote don't need it. And yet you then also had 
the Republican that just blows my mind. That's he's does. from West Virginia, right? West Virginia. But then you had the Republican governor from West Virginia, who who granted had been a former Democrat, who had been a Democrat, mm-hmm. yeah. who's a billionaire. They all have there, by the way. You yeah, know that, I, right? yeah, totally. That's one of those states where they go back and forth. Jim Justice is a billionaire who went on two cable shows and said they need to get the money out there as soon as possible. And he was pushed out. Well, what about money going to people who don't need it? He said, he basically said that shouldn't matter. We just need to get the money out there as quickly yeah. as possible. They should stop worrying about a couple people maybe getting it who don't, quote, need it. And you know what? It was This amazing. is a Republican. It's a Republican. Sense. Like, it was amazing to me. It was like, <laughs> wow, this Republican. on the left by a Republican. Yes. Like, this Republican billionaire <laughs> seems to get it even more than a lot of Democrats. And meanwhile, you have Chuck Schumer, who is now pushing uh, with another uh, New York congressman a repeal of the so-called uh, uh, salt caps, the the uh, state and local tax deduction caps, which is basically yeah. for states that have uh, uh, high property taxes. Uh, there are a lot of coastal elite, uh, quote unquote, uh, blue states. I mean, oh, yeah, not everyone where, where who, I live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not everyone who lives in New York or California is elite, but you know, they're 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 portrayed as the no, coastal we, right. elite states. So you have a situation, okay? So step back. You have a situation now where you have so Chuck Schumer's going to help me out. Yeah, he's he's aiming to help. <laughs> yes. You, but you have a situation in which the, Ew, that's you've so got nice. the the Democrats have made a promise for a one-time survival checks. You've got a Democrat essentially leading the fight to try to reduce them. You've got a Republican governor saying just give out the money people are desperate. And you've got the Democratic leader pushing a tax proposal that could deliver 80% of its benefits to the the most affluent 5% of the country. I mean, talk yep. about a, re- yep. a realignment. It's, it's, I mean, what do you make it's of all happening. that? It's happening. Well, it's, so it's so crazy that, so about the $2,000 checks, you're absolutely right. Have you ever thought about, so if they do means test it, right? who do they go out to? What about people that don't file income tax? You know, there's a huge number of people in this country that don't file any income tax yep. it tends to be very poor people yeah do they just not get anything uh, uh apparently apparently so I mean, that's the that's for me that's the that's the achilles heel of this whole thing uh it's you know if, if you want to get this money in the hands of people who need it you've just got to open the floodgates yes and and they and don't do, and do it do it immediately and they don't want to and and the the thing yeah that's, that's, you know, we're now right, 40... got to make it complex complexity exactly. complexity is your we're friend about that it's like 43 days from when they said the checks were going out, would go out immediately. We're now 43 days from when they said that. And it starts to become like, oh, you know, they, like, oh, look, they got to get into Congress. They got to organize the committees. OK, they got to do that. But we're like day 43 since Biden said that. And Joe Biden is literally a Camp David as we speak. The Senate yeah. just voted to go on recess. I mean, it's starting to become like kind of apparent that they don't really care that much like they're not really yeah you're talking about look i that this uh this these these guys attacking the uh the capital gave me kind of a scare and i just want to say if biden biden doesn't seem to understand the urgency of of the situation which is just this if he doesn't pull this off and if he doesn't make himself into you know the most beloved president of all time or whatever this asshole Trump is coming back. Well, I mean, I I, I basically agree. I mean, we wrote uh, I wrote on this weekend that 
if you or wanted one of his to, friends anywhere, one of his member of his family or something. Yes. But, if you wanted to stop fascism, okay, if you wanted to stop, if you were serious about stopping the rise of fascism in America, you would do two specific things. You would seriously hold accountable the people who organized and incited uh, authoritarian violence against democratic institutions, and you would deliver as quickly as possible, or at least look like you're trying to deliver as quickly as possible, uh, real material gains for a desperate working class. And yeah, one might say you need to govern well. Yes, and it seems... <laughs> Just be a good president. It seems that what's going on is that the leaders of both parties, granted in different ways, but the leaders of both parties are doing the opposite. The Republicans prevented the conviction of Trump at the at the uh, impeachment trial. Yep. yep. Uh, and the Democrats are going on recess and hanging out at Camp David, not providing the immediate $2,000 checks, the survival checks, meager as they are. They're not even providing that to a nation that is facing starvation, uh, eviction, and bankruptcy. I mean, it's like it's like if you were trying to create the conditions well, now for let's, fascism. Let's not, let's not, the, I don't want to. I, I, you, you were right, of course, but let's not panic yet. No, okay? no, I agree. I'm just I agree. he's just getting started, and I don't want to. But the thing is that what you're exactly right about is that is the gravity of this of the situation, and I, the, you know, the attack on the Capitol should have woken us all up to this. And as I've said a million times, whoever is the next Trump, and there will be another one, the Republican Party is never turning back from this. Uh, whoever the next Trump is, is not going to be as incompetent as this one, as the last one. It's not going to be as incompetent as Donald Trump, unless it's, you know, Trump himself. He's, you know, this, you know. Look, but, I agree but, with you that there's still time. Uh, think about, think if Trump had been competent. To, I mean, totally. Trump had, That's what keeps Trump me up had, at had night. Handled, had handled COVID like a real leader. He'd still be in there. Well, look, the 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 thing is, is that I I really my fear when taking these two things together. Okay, they didn't convict Trump. They still they 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 still don't seem to be acting with any urgency about direct aid to people during this crisis. I'm not. I agree with you. There's still time to fix things. There's still time to for for things to go in the right direction. But what I really fear is that. Not just the political leaders, but that a large segment of the population, especially on the Democratic side, thinks that the election happened, uh, the insurgency, yeah. the or the insurrection, problem is solved. The insurrection was not Let's successful. Go have exactly, like everything's fine. We'll fix things in due time. No problem. And it's like people don't recognize that this is an urgent situation not just urgent by the way economically for people who are like literally starving or facing uh, eviction and bankruptcy but it's an urgent political situation this is a, yeah, a ticking is political exactly right. time bomb yep and and it's the thing is that, that look uh it it wouldn't take a whole lot of leadership and competence to make Biden into a massively popular figure because the, what he's contrasted with is so dreadful. I mean, he, if he if he gets the vaccine out to uh, the country in, in the next couple of months and gets the economy going again, people are going to be so happy. Uh, they're going to love him. It's totally like Franklin agree. Roosevelt. He's, he's got a perfect opportunity to show what he can do. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't want to give up on him yet. I don't want to be too No, negative, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm but, not. And we can end – frankly, on a, on a decently high note, which is to say that there is still time and actually that succeeding is actually, as, as much as the Democrats uh, fetishize complexity, 
it's actually pretty straightforward. Like it's very simple and it'll, and it will also, it, it'll, the rewards to be won are so huge. I just, I, like, I just hope get they can do shots it. I hope they in, can rise to the occasion, get shots in people's arms and give people money. Like, I, by the way, one last thing I was going to say before we end, there, there's been a bunch of these studies out. I, I found this so kind of darkly hilarious. There's been a bunch of these studies out recently that essentially their premise is, wow, if you give poor people money, it actually ends up fixing things. Like there's been a bunch of these academic <laughs> studies that have come out. Like, like we did this super sociological <laughs> test that was found when we gave desperately poor people like a couple hundred bucks, it actually helped them. And it's like, I've seen some of the, the sort of pundit commentary around. It's like, who would have thought that if you give yeah. death, it's like, it's like, how is this? How are we just coming to this revelation now? Like this isn't hard. It's not hard. I know, but it's it goes against everything that we think we've learned in the last. You remember how we we that we destroyed the welfare system in this country? That was you know Bill Clinton yes. uh, acting with the Republican Congress, acting with Newt and the gang. Like, you know, that, that, that did that. Get and the so we've shots been, we've, in people's arms and give people money. Like this isn't. Hard I mean, along the way, along the way, maybe we will rediscover some sense of solidarity, you know, some sense that we're all in this together. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, that really, I mean, it's just, it's the Trump era just took that sense apart, just destroyed it. It did. And the thing is, is that a virus on a kind of physiological level, it, it almost underscores that right like yeah, well, I don't we care are you, all in it together we there's are nothing, like literally there's no other way to look at it it's a, it's an epidemic you you've got to fix everybody yes there is no other way right there is no real way to you know to isolate yourself and live a no, kind of a, a normal life uh, going outside the walls of your home uh whether you're rich or poor unless everybody actually deals with this problem together so with that i i think you know the good news is is that the the path to success to Biden uh, being considered a decent president and to not having sort of insurrections or the threat of, the, you know, fascist authoritarian uh, terrorism. Uh, it's it's a fairly straightforward process and it's not that complex. And so in theory, it's achievable. So I'm going to leave. Let's let's end on that note. Yeah, which that's is like, a happy note. I like that. That's not very. That's not very. What's what's the adjective form? Serotion. Of it's not very serotion <laughs> to end on a positive note. But, but nevertheless, nevertheless, yes. that's that's a nice place to be. Yes. Like. By the way, one last happy yes. little thought. You know, they they built Camp David when Roosevelt was president, and you know what his name for it was? They didn't call it Camp David. It's something Eisenhower came up. No with. idea. Roosevelt, Roosevelt called it Shangri La. Is that after right? that after um. After that movie, Lost Horizon. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, Joe Biden is there, and he's. I saw that he has a special Camp David a hat. So they were able to make, the good news is they were able to make Camp David hats. Hopefully, they'll be able to make $2,000 checks soon. Tom, we will, we will reconvene next week. Thanks for All doing right. this, man. Talk to you then. Bye.